Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will help you build your professional development plan. Thanks again for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader or you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor, share this episode with just one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Now, on this bonus episode, I had a fantastic conversation with Heather Burright, who's the founder and CEO of Skill Masters Market, and the perfect person to talk about how we continue to navigate many of our nonprofit leadership elements, even in a virtual setting. Now, while we are all looking forward to the return to in-person meetings and events, the fact is that we have all upgraded our technology. We've gotten better at the skills necessary to interact in a digital environment. And many of our constituents will continue to expect the ability to work with us in these digital formats. So if we have to maintain this hybrid environment of in-person and still digital access, how do we best maximize these tools and skills we have developed to some extent? And that's where Heather's expertise in instructional design is so valuable. And Heather and I discuss how do we continue to engage our staff, our board, in better and more dynamic meetings? How do we do virtual trainings for volunteers and others who we might have relied on in person uh, before the pandemic. And how do you maintain this virtual access to that out-of-town board member or perhaps a donor? And is now the time to contemplate that you might integrate staff talent that's not local because of these digital platforms which might allow you to strengthen that base? Lots of good things to think about here as you move again into a hybrid mindset as a nonprofit leader. You're going to have to, and Heather will give you great ideas to help you do just that. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 103. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com, and you will find all of the topics Heather and I discuss, as well as where you can find out more information about her and the great work she's doing at Skill Masters Market. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. Get on our email list so that you will get access to all of our free weekly resources and bonus episodes just like this one through our podcast. Let us know if we can help you in your organization's strategic plan. Maybe it's to re-engage your board, or maybe it's we can help you determine your next step toward nonprofit leadership through our coaching, training, or mastermind programs. Let us know how we can help you, but without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Heather Burright. Heather, thank you for joining me on the path. Thanks for having me today. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. We've had good discussion prior to this recording about the great work you're doing. And I think it's particularly relevant to nonprofit leaders now, Heather, that are balancing what is now a hybrid environment. They're still going to have a lot of virtual activity. They're starting to have more in-person discussions and meetings and things like that. But it doesn't change the fundamental need for good leadership 
training and the kinds of things you do. And I guess maybe I'll start with that, Heather, as a means of understanding the work you do. What are you most proud of? You've worked with nonprofits for a while. What are you most proud of in terms of the work you do? Yeah, I I actually would give an example from when I was working internally at a national nonprofit. I was managing their competency model and creating staff development opportunities for them to use across the country. And we had a particular challenge with reaching a specific part-time audience with training, as you might imagine, it's, it can be difficult to reach part-time audiences. Right. And so we were working together. There was a, there was a team of people. We were working together to create a complement to our competency model, knowing that competency models can sometimes be a little complex or abstract in some ways, a little vague maybe on the behaviors that you're looking for. And so we wanted to create a complement that was specific to this part-time audience that was hard to reach. And so we created new behaviors that contextualize those competencies. We created a self-assessment for staff so they could tailor their learning opportunities. We created games and activities that supervisors could then use with their staff and staff meetings. And then we created short bursts of e-learning so that those part-time staff could develop their skills. And by doing this, we saw some really great results within the organization. And I remember presenting the some of the activities at a, a staff meeting for a group of the supervisors of this group of people. And someone speaks up towards the end of the meeting in tears and just says, God bless you for this. Wow. And she was just tears streaming down her face. And, you know, I believe people are worthy of investment. And I believe investing in your people makes them feel valued and gives them new skills and a new passion for their work. So while we tracked satisfaction and we tracked knowledge gain and all the things that, <laughs> that you like to track when it comes to staff development, I knew we had some good results, but none of that data is memorable. What makes me proud is the genuine gratitude, the overwhelming excitement, the reactions of the people. That's what sticks with me and makes me proud. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's, of course, exactly why I wanted to talk to you. And uh, I assume, Heather, that did this potential for leadership development and training and development in organizations, is that what inspired you to start Skill Masters Market? It did. Yeah, I have about 15 years of experience in the learning and development space, and I love working with nonprofits and have just found a really good fit working with them to help them figure out how to be more strategic in their learning and leadership development opportunities, but also kind of bring in that human element to make sure that what gets created meets the organization's needs, but also really considers the people that it's affecting. Yeah, I figured, and I know we'll talk more about that, that what you brought to the table and now are delivering to these organizations. And, and maybe we'll talk about some of the struggles that you're seeing and how they achieve the efficiency and the effectiveness they want. Um, speaking of efficiency and effectiveness, something I think we all wrestle with now that we're in this hybrid environment of virtual and sort of coming out of it. Have you found anything, Heather, in your own kind of personal productivity that has helped you do the good work you're doing? Yeah, I am always, I get excited about this topic and I'm always looking for ways to better manage my time and stay organized. I use my calendar for everything. So maybe I would start there. I schedule everything I need to do for the week, whether it's a meeting, project work, I schedule project work on my calendar in 90 minute increments. I schedule all of my personal appointments on my calendar and I 
get, can just go where the calendar tells me when I do this. Right? <laughs> right. It also gives me a sense of, I only have so much time in a day and that time has to account for everything I need to do. It has to account for the project work. It has to account for the meetings. It does have to account for my personal appointments as well, right? If I need to go pick up my kids or go to the dentist, I need to know that exactly. and it needs to be a part of my, my calendar, my time. And so I rely on my calendar pretty heavily and would say that's probably my top tip for staying organized. But I've also recently found Trello. I don't know if you're familiar with Trello. Heard of it. have not used it, but I've heard others speak highly of it. Yes, it's super easy to use, really intuitive. And I feel like I can organize my people and my projects and my resources on Trello. And then I have a place to go back to and say, okay, I need I need these things or these things are in the works or where did I put that link? <laughs> and it saves me exactly. time because I can keep everything organized on that Trello board. Love that. Well, and again, proactive and efficient calendar use and whatever tool you use, like in your case, Trello, I think is important to keep up with the volume, right, of activity that our lives now uh, always give us. Um, I know you've put that into good use in your work across many organizations, especially nonprofits. And let's jump into something I think is a hallmark, Heather, of your work, you know, creating engaging virtual training. Um, but I'm sure many of the principles also apply to live training. Um, what do you find, though, when, when you first connect with nonprofits? Um, what are some of the trouble spots, I guess, you might see when you are interacting at first with an organization that's not quite finding this engaging level of connection? Yeah, I think engaging is one of engagement is one of the top concerns of any organization that is looking to move into the virtual environment. I think in in-person classrooms, we have a tendency to think people are engaged because we can see them. And moving into a virtual environment where you may or may not have video on and you know that they're in front of their computer and so they may have email open or they may be able to pick up their phone and you wouldn't notice. They may even be able to walk away and you wouldn't know. Exactly. So I think we have this feeling that it's not going to be engaging. And I think, honestly, the biggest trouble spot is probably that fear that we have to overcome. Right. But I would say that, you know, a lot of organizations think about virtual classroom training and they think, okay, I have to figure out how to convert my training. And I think even that word converting is misleading because it sounds like it's a one for one. Like I can right. take what I did in person and I can maybe tweak it just a little bit and throw it online and it will work. But actually most training needs to be completely redesigned to work in the virtual environment. So I think uh, that's probably the fear. Yeah, <laughs> good point. The, the converting, even just the word itself, converting are probably two of the biggest challenges. Well, so is that your point? Uh, converting is not necessarily the word to use, or that may create some of the intimidation factor for the leader. Is that kind of what you run into? Absolutely. I think everybody has attended a boring webinar, right? And so we're all kind of facing uh, facing that, and, and that's kind of an uphill battle. Uh, but if you just convert your training, you likely will end up with a boring webinar. So <laughs> I think it's important to to think about it as a redesign rather than converting. What are some of the characteristics of that redesign? Because your yeah. point's well made. And I, I'm imagining a lot of scenarios for nonprofits working with volunteers, board meetings and trainings that come within that context, certainly staff. But yeah, what are some of the things you go through as you evaluate that redesign? Yeah. So I would probably start, I have a whole method that I can that I can get into, but I'd probably start by saying if you want engaging virtual training, what does that even mean to you? So what does it mean for it to be engaging? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And why is it important? 
I think sometimes uh, creating, we create engagement just to make sure people are paying attention because we are missing that in-person component where I can see you and I can, I feel like I know that you are. And sometimes then that engagement has no direct connection to the learning objectives. Whereas it's, I feel like it's really important for engagement to be relevant and practical, not engagement for engagement's sake. Right. You know, I often hear people say that training should be fun or it should be sexy, but I agree that training can be fun, but I think training should be relevant and timely, most importantly. So if you want to create an engaging virtual classroom training, let's start with a clear direction. This is the first sort of part of my three-part method. Let's start with a clear direction. What are your organization's priorities? What do you need people to do in order to help your organization achieve those priorities? And if we focus in on the action, I'm a big believer in action. So if you focus in on the action, everything else will come a little more naturally, the engagement included. So focus in on the behavior, the action that you need people to take, not what you need them to know. And then consider your audience in this process too. So what does your organization need? What do you need people to do in order to achieve that? And then what is your audience already doing? What motivates them to do those things? And what are the gaps in their behavior? So which of those actions are people already doing? Which ones are they not doing? Which ones are they doing, but maybe not quite as well as you would like them to do? And then you can create your learning objectives with those things in mind. And now you have a set of objectives that are aligned with your organization's priorities. So you know they're gonna be more strategic and they've considered your people very specifically. And so you know they're gonna have a little bit more of that human element as well. So that's my first part of the method is to start with that clear direction. And once you have that, you can start to create the right experience for them. And this is where the engagement comes in, because, again, it's not engagement for engagement's sake, but it's right. engagement that helps them achieve the behaviors that you identified in that first part. And you're able to help them achieve the behavior change that, that you're seeking because you're creating engagement that helps them practice those behaviors that help them practice what you've um, documented in those learning objectives. And then you can also help your um, trainers. So assuming you're, you're using some internal trainers in this scenario, your trainers are probably used to training in person. And so this is also new for them and might require some new behaviors or new skills. So preparing them for delivery is also part of creating the right experience for your people. It's different to facilitate virtually than it is to facilitate in person. And I can give a, a good example of this. I don't know uh, if the last time you were on an, a virtual classroom training, uh, but a good, a good facilitator in person will often ask some really powerful open-ended question. And there might be a brief pause where you can see that people are thinking and then people begin to engage and they bounce ideas off each other and it grows and it becomes this great generative conversation. Right. But in a virtual environment, when you ask an open-ended question, you tend to get met with crickets. <laughs> exactly. And that's a scary moment, isn't it, for the facilitator? It, it is a scary moment. And I think time might move slower in a virtual environment. I haven't, I have no scientific evidence, but as a facilitator myself, in person, it's a lot easier to wait 10 seconds than it is virtually. And so asking open-ended questions, while it might work really well in an in-person classroom, might not be the best way to start a conversation virtually. And so what I recommend uh, is to start with a closed question. So 
raise your hand if you have experienced this, if you've had this type of interaction with whatever you call your, your customer and your nonprofit. Right, right. And then people can raise their hand virtually or type in chat, give me a yes if you've experienced this. That's a safe question. It's an easy question. It doesn't require a lot of tech expertise. People feel like they can respond more quickly. And then you can follow that up with an open-ended question. Okay, so I see 10 people have had this experience. Can somebody tell me a little bit more? What was the situation and how did you respond? And now you're getting into some of those open questions and those 10 people are more likely to speak up. <laughs> and right. if not, you actually know who, who those 10 people are. And so you can, I don't necessarily recommend calling on a single person by name, but you can say, okay, James, Carrie, Monique, I see that you all have had this experience. Would one of you like to share? And so you're opening it up in a way that feels more comfortable for people in a virtual environment. And you're more likely to get that engagement because you've done it that way. So that's just one of many, <laughs> many I ways that, that the virtual environment is different than an in-person environment, but we can prepare our trainers for that so that they have more um, confidence going into the virtual environment and more skills going into the virtual environment. I love that. And again, your advice is good about using the closed question, using the you know, other tactics and are, have you found other kind of technology tips that help create a more engaged environment um, that, again, you don't have the advantage, obviously, of that in-person kind of reading the body language of the room? Yeah, absolutely. I I ha actually have a free virtual facilitation formula and I can, I can send you the link to that, but great. it includes yeah. a lot of different tips. I would say one be familiar with the technology. That's probably first and foremost, because things do happen and you might have to adapt. And so knowing what your options are is, is really important. Uh, the chat box is a really easy feature to use. So when in doubt, <laughs> use the chat box. Breakout exactly. groups are exactly right. Breakout groups are incredibly effective in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of times we think about them as, okay, we can send them to a breakout group. They can have a conversation. That's great. They can come back. We can debrief. That's great. But you can also use those breakout groups for hands-on practice. You can combine breakout groups with uh, some shared technology like Google Slides or something like that, where people can be in the same document at the same time. They can be actively working on something together. Right case. And so there are a lot of great ways to use the technology to create that engagement. Again, making sure that engagement is aligning with those learning objectives so that people um, are getting what they need. They're getting the opportunities to practice those skills that you've identified, and then they'll be more likely to use them on the job after. That's fantastic. And I was thinking about it, Heather, what 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 types of engagement have you seen most effective in nonprofit settings? And in other words, I'm imagining that this could often be used for staff training, uh, new staff training or things like that, or volunteer training, or or have you seen particular uh, settings or, or examples of where this online training has been effective for a nonprofit? Yeah, I think any number of topics or types of training can be converted virtually. I think there's always going, going to be a place for in-person training, right? I can't imagine teaching swim lessons completely virtually, <laughs> but, but there, yeah. there can be a place for that. And But there are a lot of topics that can move virtual that I think we don't always recognize. And I think the best ways that I've seen to create engagement um, related to that, breakout groups, again, are an easy go-to you can really create some powerful experiences in breakout groups. I've also seen whiteboards used really well 
I've seen bringing in outside tools like poll everywhere where people can respond to a question on their phone. And then it creates a word cloud with the, the words that get the most responses are bigger. So you can kind right, of see right. a little bit of themes across the room. I've seen um, some outside of the technology uh, whiteboards too, where you can use like mural or Miro, things like that, where you can use those virtual sticky notes and kind of play with things and make that really hands-on as well. I think it just depends on what it is you're trying to achieve and the level of comfort that your audience will have with the technology. Yeah. And it makes me think about, again, different settings because all of that is such good advice. It, it could affect my next board meeting. It could certainly affect my, a staff retreat or training or, again, work with volunteers. So uh, this applies in multiple settings and with different audiences, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. I have worked on training virtually for job specific kind of functional skills that people need to be successful for diversity, equity and inclusion, leadership development topics. So it really does work for a wide variety of topics. Well, and what I like what you bring to the table, Heather, is while you know the technology, you know, the kind of the science and activity around engagement, it, it also it builds upon fundamentals like leadership. In fact, I know you've talked a lot about helping nonprofits create a leadership strategy, but talk about that. What, what do you mean when you say, hey, I can help you with a leadership strategy? Yeah, I think in many ways, it's the same uh, process that I use in, in every situation. You know, I believe organizations are better when people are happier and people are happier when they feel valued and capable in their role. So thinking about leadership strategies and thinking about even how you can do that virtually, because they're the your staff's needs didn't change just because you went, well, they might have changed, but they didn't go away just because yeah, you right. went virtual. And so I think it's, you know, equally important here to start with a clear direction. What is it that you need people to do? Do you need them to communicate better or differently? Do you need them to listen more actively? Do you need them to create more inclusive environments? These are all leadership skills, but you can break those things down into more actionable skills and then create the right experiences to help them develop those skills in, in a way that's really strategic. And so it could be assessments where they're assessing their skills going into a situation. It could be training, though it doesn't have to be, and it could right. be coaching, but you're doing that with intentionality because you're starting with that clear direction. And then you're creating those experiences based on what it is that you need your people to do, what leadership skills you need them to have. And it can vary, right? You can have some, some think about the competency model that I managed before internally at an organization. There were leadership skills that were broad and applied to everyone to be successful in this organization. You need these skills. But then there are more, there are skills that are more custom to certain roles, maybe, or even a certain person might need more work in one area than another area, or they might be playing to certain strengths more often. And so having that strategy that says, here's what you really need to be successful within an organization. Here's what you need to be successful within this type of role. And then giving people the opportunity to then take assessments and training and go through coaching and other things allows them to develop the skills that are more specific to them. So it's more strategic and more human. I love that. And I, I wonder, and you alluded to this earlier, Heather, about could a nonprofit leader say, well, Heather, yeah, my, my team is engaged, but in fact, it's a blind spot that your early assessment work, I guess, determines the level of engagement that really exists. 
And I wonder, have you found that in many cases, the leadership thinks there's a, an engagement level that in fact is not reflected in your, I guess, interaction with the team members themselves? Yeah, that's always a, a risk, for lack of a better word, that, <laughs> that there might be a difference in opinion or a difference in perception. I've seen a lot of organizations doing more equity-focused work right now, right. and many organizations are looking at their policies, their practices, and those perceptions so that they have a, a more holistic view of what's happening within the organization. And I would certainly say if you're if you're surveying your senior leadership and you're surveying your staff, you're probably going to have a difference of opinion there because a lot of times an organization will have a policy, but that policy isn't implemented equitably. Yes. And so then the perceptions show that that reality that it's not being implemented equitably and so the the senior leadership may be thinking no we have a policy so of course this is the way it works but then you get a few layers into the organization and you realize that the policy and the practice are different and the perception might even be different than that in in a situation like that is is your objective then to create an engaging environment that brings these sometimes difficult conversations to light? Or how would you approach an organization that says, yeah, we need to be more equity uh, focused in our organization and we need your help? Yeah, I, I would certainly start start with an assessment, you know, a review of the policies and practices, uh, interviews, focus groups, surveys, whatever that looks like, depending on the size of the organization, and then making some recommendations based on the findings. I think it's up to each organization how they want to prioritize. Obviously, time and resources are always part of that conversation, uh, but depending on you know what their strategies and what they have going on, the recommendations would, would probably be different for each organization. Uh, but you know, I think it's always important to also include learning focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of that. I think a lot of times organizations will use training as a kind of a bandage solution right. for equity. And I don't think that's the right approach. I think the the, the process of, of assessing how well you're doing and what might need to change is really important. But I do think creating the learning experiences that allow staff to gain a common understanding and, and a shared language and all of those things is really, really important as well. Well, and of course, you are particularly focused on really good individual engaged trainings, meetings, or whatnot. But I'm sure it, it, you're also trying to instill a culture of engagement. And do you find it takes a series of meetings, so to speak, a series of trainings? Or what do some of your projects look like in terms of the frequency or duration of activity to maybe really move the needle? Yeah, it, it actually does vary, vary quite a bit depending on the learning objectives. There are organizations that will do sort of those short bursts of learning, like I described with the, uh, the complement of the competency model that I created previously. So those are things that people could complete in 30 minutes or less. Right. It's a, a quick hit. And there are organizations that are doing that. And, and those can be effective depending on the learning objective that you that you have. I think if it's something that is more complex, if you think about like a leadership development program, something that's going to take more time, even just the whole the whole assessment process and then doing something and then, you, you know, you want to have opportunities to reflect and see if what you're doing is actually working and things like that. You're going to see that over a longer period of time. And so that might be something where you're meeting uh, or going to a training or having a coaching call 
every other week or once a month over a period of time so that you can really see that improvement over time. Yeah, makes total sense. And it, I guess it leads me to a question about the longer term ramifications of the efficiency and engagement you and I believe can happen online. Um, but it, the the contradiction, I guess, with the isolation that many of our nonprofit team members may feel. And, and so I guess the tug of war, I think that is upon us is those that want to get back to in person. And those of us that frankly have settled into a comfortable routine. And I've heard some nonprofit leaders, in fact, Heather, tell me that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to offer a continuing flexible schedule. Um, you can work from home if that's good for you. But I wonder, do you have thoughts or have you had conversations with organizational leaders around, you know, the pros and cons of remaining remote or the need to bring people back together? Yeah, I think remote work or hybrid workforces certainly present challenges. You're going to have challenges around time zones and scheduling meetings. Like what does the workday actually look like? You're going to have challenges around building trust in a virtual environment and, and onboarding people in a virtual environment, creating a culture or maintaining your culture in a virtual environment. Communication, project management, all of those things are slightly different virtually. And so, so you will have some challenges, but I think there is a whole world of benefits that opens up when we consider it. I, I saw a study recently that said 43% of staff who are currently working remotely would like to stay remote at least as an option. And I saw another study that had that number closer to 80%. So people are looking for this. They are interested in flexibility. And I think that we're going to see that more and more in all kinds of companies across the, the United States. And I think that nonprofits might be forced for lack of a better word, to consider it in order to remain competitive as an employer. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think as a competitive advantage, and frankly, as a sector that struggles with turnover uh, as nonprofit leaders, uh, we have to be sensitive to that. But I guess, and I'm sure you agree that the downside is the potential lack of engagement, right? All right, I've offered virtual uh, or a hybrid work environment for my team, but do I risk losing people? And I guess it comes back to then, Heather, they need to be even more sensitive to engagement, right? And maintaining a level of engagement as an organization if I'm going to let everybody work from home. Absolutely. I think there are, you, you get a little bit more creative maybe in how you're engaging people when you're virtual than when you're in person. I think you probably have the opportunity to have more meaningful engagement in person, it's a little bit easier to say, all right, we're going to have a team lunch and, and just kind of go with it and consider it engagement. But I think virtually it forces you to be more creative. And so you have the opportunity to actually have more meaningful engagement because of it. Well, I guess in a specific scenario of, of and challenge, I would think, and we've both heard examples recently, people literally joining an organization they've never met in person, their colleagues, the whole process of hiring and in some cases onboarding takes place online. Um, Are there unique elements you found to an effective onboarding as we consider if we're going to stay in this hybrid environment, we're going to hire people this way. How do we make sure they feel connected if they're coming in through this virtual channel? This is such a, a great question and one that I actually think about a lot, probably more than I should admit. My my dream is to create an email drip training. And I think that 
onboarding and refresher training too, but I think onboarding is one of the best opportunities that we have to use something like that. And if you think about email drip, it's typically used in marketing. And so you get information when you need it. There's usually some sort of call to action. Maybe you go watch a video, but the the email is dripped over a period of time. And right. I would love to do that for onboarding uh, as, as part of the onboarding process. So if anybody out there wants to make my dream come true, just <laughs> let me know. But until then, I'm gonna keep thinking about it more than I should admit. Um, but I, I think onboarding virtually may seem harder than it is. And I think I would use the same, um, recommend the same process or method when it comes to onboarding. So, you know, start with that clear direction. What is it that you need people to do? What is that environment you want to create? How do you want them to feel when they walk into your organization virtually? And start with that and then think about, okay, knowing I want them to do these things or know these things or feel these things, how can I then create the experience that allows them to do that? Is it all virtual? Is it hybrid? Are they doing some things on their own? What does that look like? Are you mailing things to their house? Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a friend who started with a, a national nonprofit during this past year and her team sent gift cards over to everybody on the team and they ordered lunch and had a virtual team lunch. So again, we can get creative about how we're doing this, but create the experience that allows them to learn, practice, experience the things and the feelings that you want them to experience as part of your team. And then nurture that over time. It's not, it's not a one and done, especially if you think about onboarding. It's, it's about providing them with what they need, when they need it, and checking in with them over time. It's, it's about giving them quick, you know, easy wins. So they feel a sense of accomplishment and pride in their work at your organization. And it's about helping them feel connected to the organization. But knowing that that can take time, I think we have to think about onboarding longer than perhaps we have in the past. Could not agree more. In fact, I'm excited to join you in that thought because as we think about, oh gosh, this is going to be terrible if we have to do it online. But let's contrast that with the live version. And you use the drip analogy, which I like a lot, because I think we often fire hose people. <laughs> we they arrive on their first day. We give them, you know, multiple three ring binders. We walk them around the office, and we expect them to onboard effectively through what is absolutely a fire hose method. And what you're suggesting uh, to spread it out to me. Uh, and it also seems, Heather, that we could utilize the technology, as you said, in a creative manner. We could get a videotape maybe from our board chair or from our key donor or a key constituent. And I guess what you're suggesting is then maybe this person could then have self-directed onboarding, right? They could tackle the content that we expect them to, to learn, but it could be also in a more engaging manner as opposed to kind of a one-day uh, overwhelm. We could spread our uh, content out in uh, an engaging manner. And then you'd have permanent content, right? If I'm an executive director, maybe it'd be good for me to record a video short of the history of this nonprofit or whatever. But you've talked about that, you and I did before, but I wonder, is that 
uh, where you're going in terms of the possibility of the drip method. Absolutely. And imagine how much money you'll save on those binders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you see more organizations kind of, I guess, using the multimedia or is that what you envision in terms of, you know, it's not just kind of a straightforward lecture format, right? But maybe there are opportunities that are not that expensive, but would in fact be more effective. Absolutely. You know, I think this past year has been one where some organizations are are thriving and some organizations are struggling. And so I don't know that I would look to this past year as a specific example of how organizations are doing this. But I think that going forward, there's a huge opportunity to do that. And to your point, if an executive director records a video of themselves saying what they would normally say in an onboarding environment, they've done that once. And so they're actually saving themselves time. They're not having to go to onboarding, you know, once a month or however often you're you're running it. And so that becomes something that can be, you record once and then you're using it over and over again. And potentially even in multiple places, you record that one video, depending on what it is that you're sharing, it could also be used as you onboard new board members. Yes. Yes. Used on your website so that people understand who are, you know, just coming to your website, understand what your organization is and how it works. And so you're creating things that have a lot of longevity to them. And so while it may seem like a lot of work <laughs> to, to reimagine onboarding, I think there's a lot of benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. And think about the, I guess, um, the stewardship value of going to some of your top donors or board members and saying, hey, would you be willing to tell your story in a you know five to 10 minute video that we could use to onboard new people to understand, you know, go back to the founder of your organization, if he or she's still around, you know, I, I'm imagining lots of applications of this that would have value even beyond, as you said, the onboarding itself. Absolutely. And stories are powerful. They're a powerful way to connect people with your organization and your mission. Yep. Hey, well, Heather, this has been fantastic. I mean, advice, and I, I hope our listeners will indeed reimagine their current activity of engagement through virtual platforms. And in particular, as we finish with onboarding, uh, that important stage of engaging and ultimately retaining our talent in the organization. But you mentioned your friend starting a job in the nonprofit sector right now. Is there any other advice you offer folks when they approach you and say, Heather, I'm thinking about getting into nonprofit leadership? What else would you share with them? Yeah, I think this goes for for people who are looking to get into nonprofit leadership and people who are already in nonprofits. But as Simon Sinek says, start with why. I think it's so important to, to do this when we think about our people, especially our people, our staff, our volunteers, whoever, whatever we call our customer base, they're the most valuable part of our organization in so many ways. And they want your organization to succeed. So taking the time to invest in them, starting with your why, can go a long way. It's great advice. And of course, Simon Sinek is among the books. Uh, his books have been recommended here. Uh, but you know, Heather, I'm going to ask you the same question. You're a lifelong learner. Uh, has there been any book in particular that's uh, shaped your journey that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so so many. But I, I really loved Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you read that one? Indeed, I have. Great choice for sure. 
I, I listen to it. I'm, I'm an, on an audiobook pick right now and I listen to it <laughs> right. in my library, but it's definitely one I want to own. So it's on my list to actually purchase and, and add to my library at home. Yeah, it is on the bookshelf behind me and a great one to recommend. And speaking of where we started, Heather, and the productivity and you know effective goal setting and habits that support uh, productive work, uh, you picked a good one uh, in Atomic Habits. Um, Heather, thank you again for joining me on the podcast. And you know, where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing through the uh, Skill Masters Market? Yeah, I have a website, skillmastersmarket.com. I have a free resource, the virtual facilitation formula that I can send to you if you want to include that in any of the show notes. And then I am active on LinkedIn. So that's probably the best place to connect with me and hear more from me. And I'd love to connect with you and, and hear what your needs are as we move into this virtual environment or continue, I guess, in this virtual <laughs> environment to see where things go. That's fantastic. Well, we will indeed, Heather, include all of that in the show notes. And thank you again for joining me on the path. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Heather as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can help you build upon the technology and online communication skills you have developed and perhaps engage in a whole new way going forward. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Heather, her great work through Skillmasters Market, and other resources that were discussed during this episode. As always, thanks for sharing it with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus episodes just like this one we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.